0: You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s.
1: I don't blame the Red Guards and the revolutionaries for what they did to me. They were misled. They believed in Mao Zedong, and Mao Zedong told them to do it.
0: Former Chinese political prisoner Nian Cheng, today on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Nian Cheng was born in 1915 into a well-to-do Chinese family. In fact, they were well enough off to send her to college. In fact, postgraduate work at the London School of Economics. And that's where she met her future husband. But that time that she spent in Britain also would prove eventually to be a, a kind of a time bomb of sorts. Fast forward to 1966. Nian Chang is by this time a widow. She's 51 years old. And she's arrested by the Chinese Communist government, accused of being a British spy. For nearly the next seven years, Nian Chang was imprisoned and sometimes tortured. But she stayed strong and eventually won her release and moved to the United States. In the late 1980s, she wrote a gripping memoir of her experience as a political prisoner. It was a book called Life and Death in Shanghai. And that's when I first met her. So here now, from 1987, Nian Cheng.
1: Uh, I very nearly died several times when I was incarcerated in the number one detention house during the Cultural Revolution that took place between 1966 and 1976 in China.
2: One thing you said in an interview that I had read, I think it was in the New York Times, several months ago. Yes. Um, You said, my detention experience was interesting because it gave me a long time to sit and think without distractions. What incredible courage you must have to be able to even say that now, let alone think that while you were there. I think many of us, after seven days or seven weeks, let alone seven years,
1: would go crazy. I was incarcerated in total isolation, in solitary confinement for six and a half years. It did give me a lot of time to think. I reviewed my whole life and I discovered certain things about myself, about my life that hitherto I did not realize. I think it was, uh, it did me a lot of good. In fact, looking back on my confinement, it did me no harm at all. It made me a much better person. I'm kinder. I'm more sympathetic to people who are in need of help. Uh, I used to think, uh, this may sound terrible to you, but I did used to think that way, that people who failed in life were because they didn't try hard enough. This was the kind of universal reaction uh, from people who have made it. But now I realize it's terribly naive to think that way. There inevitably, in any society, some people who couldn't make it. And it's up to those who could make it to help. Otherwise, we create the breeding ground for communism.
2: There are so many hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of people who, if they were put in the same circumstances as you, and if they somehow managed to survive, as you did, would come out bitter, would come out uh, angry, would come out uh, unrelentingly uh, fanatical, and yet you are calm, you are forgiving, you are not bitter in any way. Why are you different from so many other people?
1: Well, I, I think uh, there is no absolute good person or bad person. We are very much influenced by the environment we live in, and the way we're brought up and educated. I don't blame the Red Guards and the revolutionaries for what they did to me. They were misled by the propaganda. They believed in Mao Zedong, and Mao Zedong told them to do it. As for Mao Zedong, I thought uh, he was, of course, a dictator, and he was power crazy. He was paranoid. He was afraid to lose his power. So he went to great extremes. He was suspicious as well of people like myself who had had Western education. He exaggerated our importance and our threat to his uh, power. Uh, But I understand it. Uh, I forgive. Because in the last analysis, they did no permanent harm to me. But there is one thing I still feel a little bit bitter about, that is the death of my daughter. She was a member of the Communist League, Youth League. She was a full supporter of the Communist Party, not like myself who went along with it but really didn't believe in it. She, was, she grew up under the Communist regime. She came back to China when she was six years six years old. And uh, she was ruthlessly beaten up and she died as a result of beating simply because she had refused to say that her mother was a spy. She refused to lie and she was beaten to death. I cannot reconcile myself to that.
2: Gee, that'd be hard for any person to face. Some people have called your book the most powerful account yet of the cultural revolution. And I wondered to myself, how many times did you start to write it and then change your mind and say, no, I, c- I can't put this on paper?
1: I didn't. Uh, once I resolved that I was going to write it, uh, I, went, I went straight ahead. But there were times when recalling and um, writing down uh, the terrible tragedy of my daughter's death, that I was uh, thrown into a state of great depression. Then I had to put the manuscript away and do something else, or even take a trip away from it. But I always came back, because I'm that sort of person. If I uh, started to knit a sweater, I always make sure I finished it.
0: (laughs) After this short break, the life-changing thing Nian Cheng learned about herself While in prison. Now back to my 1987 interview with Nian Cheng.
2: The things that you discovered about yourself during your confinement, you discovered some things that you didn't like as well as things that you did?
1: Well, I I lived a sheltered life. Um, You might call it an upper-class existence. I thought it was my right to live better than other people. That's wrong. I really, uh, now material things don't matter to me. I used to make sure my clothes and jewelry, everything matched and this and that, all that kind of thing. They they don't matter to me anymore uh, after my imprisonment because I realized that they are just superficial uh, things in life. There are more fundamental things in life that I should be concerned with.
2: Do you feel a special kinship with others who have been held hostage or held prisoner?
1: Yes, I do. I do. I understand them very, very much better. Uh, be- uh, they seem to be a bond. I was invited to New York by the National Academy of TV, Art, and Science to be a presenter at the Emmy Award uh, for TV documentaries and uh, producers and so on. And I met Father Jenko. Even just as I shook his hand, I felt a bond with him.
2: There is something I would imagine, some kind of electricity that... that... We
1: we didn't have to talk very much. I understood
2: what he went through. You'd see it in the eyes.
1: Yes, that's right.
2: He too was a very, very powerful human being, such as yourself. I Uh, admire
1: him. I admire people who could put up with it. Of course, I cannot judge the others who buckled under. Many, many Chinese made false confessions under pressure. I don't uh, want to judge anybody because everybody's circumstances is different. We're all differently endowed by God with ability to withstand pain and suffering. Fortunately, I think on the whole, uh... God has given me the ability to endure, so I survived it. I just thank God for it.
2: An article in the Washington Post recently had quoted you as saying that you were not very optimistic about China's future.
1: Well, um, I feel this way. Unless the Communist Party leaders are courageous enough to face the fact that Marxism did not work in China, Reality tells them that. The people are sick of it. They still want to indoctrinate the people. The people are resisting. They're resisting quietly. For instance, in the universities, after the university students demonstrated, they organized the university students into indoctrination classes. The university students attend those classes uh, with them a book on Marxism, but inside they have... Uh, a book of English vocabulary. They were practicing spelling while they were listening to the, or they were not listening to the lecture on Marxism. This is the way the Chinese people resist. They don't openly come out and say, I don't want to attend that class. Uh, American youngsters will probably do that, but not uh, Chinese. So the old method uh, is no use anymore in China. If the Communist Party wish to remain in power, they have to change. They have to give the people some kind of say in their own fate.
2: A nation as large as China, it things must change slowly, mustn't they?
1: Well, it has to take uh, uh, take a move, even no matter how slow. It's uh, we we've been going backwards, in fact. Uh, I think uh, the open-door policy has contributed to the enlightenment of the Chinese public, especially the students. Uh, Even the peasants, they are beginning to understand the rest of the world. Uh, They realize that China is backward, and their own standard of living is terribly low. They are beginning to understand that, especially the younger ones, uh, the people in their 40s, uh, and thirties, I think uh, the Communist Party will have to face up to it sooner or later that they can't go on in the same way. Some of the Communist Party leaders have already realized that. I'm pretty sure the Prime Minister and the Party General Secretary Zhao Ziyang, I'm sure he realized that. And many of the Party intellectuals who have just recently been expelled from the Party by the conservative leaders... Uh, I'm sure they realize that because openly they wrote articles and uh, they talked about it uh, uh, along those lines. They urged the uh, leadership to change. Uh, The Communist Party is going to uh, hold uh, a party congress uh, on October 26. I think uh, we might see something new, at least I hope so. But as long as they do not renounce the four principles, uh, I think uh, they will always have uh, twists and turns uh, in their way of progress.
2: You've said uh, in, in other interviews that you feel very at home in America.
1: Yes, I'm afraid I do. I, I think I'm, uh, I'm a very open person. When I lived in communist China, of course, I had to put myself under re- restraint. Here, I feel greatly liberated. It isn't that I want to go to the street corner and make a speech. That's not yet. It's just to be able to think of problems from different angles and read the enormous amount of books and newspaper articles and magazines Give me such great pleasure. I really feel as if I have acquired a pair of wings and I can fly all over.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Is there sometimes too much?
1: Mm. No, so far I've been able to cope. (laughs) I think people give me consideration because of my age.
2: And you are now looking to become a U.S. citizen.
1: Yes, next year I'm entitled to apply to become a U.S. citizen. And I hope uh, to study the Constitution and uh, learn uh, to pass the test. I have to go through a test. And once I've become a U.S. citizen, naturally my primary consideration is how to be a loyal, good citizen, to contribute a little bit uh, and to repay the kindness America has given me.
0: Nian Chang died in 2009. She was 94. And you can find easy Amazon links to Nian Cheng's books at our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're there, listen to my interview with another Chinese dissident who was at Tiananmen Square, Shen Tong. We
2: started to question if so-called universal truth, communism, is the only way for China or not. And our answer is quite clear. now it's not.
0: And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, for over a dozen years, he was one of the stars on ESPN. His interviews were fabulous. My 1993 interview with Roy Firestone. And after a while, I forgot who I was talking to, like the 35th president of the United States. It felt like I was talking to my dad about baseball. You know, Mookie Wilson and Eikstra, you can't platoon those two. Uh, You gotta have them take their swings. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.